Welcome to the Digital Brand Builder Podcast, where we bring you the best growth strategies from the world's experts to help build your business fast. And now, here's your host, Mark Fidelman. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Digital Brand Builder. And joining me today is the king of brand building, in my opinion, at least from people I know. And his name is David Breyer. I've been friends with him for many, many years, and I wanted to get him on this podcast, especially now, especially as times are changing. Hopefully with this vaccine, things will somewhat return to normal. And when things change, you have to think about branding. And if you need to make a change in your branding, giving the state of the world. So that's why I wanted to bring on David Breyer. But before we jump in, David, can you give us a, you know, a brief intro about yourself? Well, sure. I am a native New Yorker, now working and living in the Midwest. And um, basically, I've been branding companies from global to national, regional, local, even cities um, for 40. This actually is my 41st year of doing that. And I mean, in terms of just giving people context, my work has been featured or covered in Inc., Adweek, Entrepreneur, Fast Company, uh, Forbes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I've been around. I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I basically, as anybody who knows me or works with me, I, I'm no bullshit. I, there's no, there's not, not enough time in the day for bullshit. I like to just get, get to the point. Not, not shortchanging stuff unnecessarily, but if something can be hit directly and straight with, uh, without any compromise, that's where I love to live. Yeah. And, you know, in this industry, we see a lot of bullshit, as you know. Yep. So finding the right person, especially with branding, which is uh, it's hard to measure, at least initially, uh, how you measure the success of your branding program over time, certainly. Yeah. Um, you could, a lot of people listening to this probably have either fallen victim to to a, a so-called branding expert or, um, you know, don't know the first thing about branding and are looking for advice here. So this is uh, very timely. And, and David, um, I'd like to just jump right in if you're okay with that. Let's rock and roll, dude. I'm ready. All right. So there's been a lot of changes in the last year. We don't need to rehash what they were. What are you suggesting people do now, given the crazy state of affairs that we're in? in terms of branding? Well, right now, the key thing that's got to happen, do not, I mean, what, what, like, for example, I think it's been very, very common for some people, oh, we're going to we're gonna add uh, automated this and automated that and add lots of things that add layers to the human experience. Probably the worst example that we've all experienced is what I, the, the menu tree, when you go and you call up a company and it's like, and you get that recorded little message and it has you add in this and has you add in that. It normally has about 15 different options. By the time you actually get to a human person, you're ready to basically chew their head off mm. and just spit them out. Um, that's, an, that's an example of it being done terribly. Well, in this day and age of disconnection, right? where we're really not connected as much as we like to be. Uh, we're doing more video calls, more Zoom calls, more remote this, remote that, remote that. The factor of humanity, if I were to say one thing to do, cut out the layers between 
your actual frontline people and your customers. Because the more human you are, the more accessible you are, the more you can actually speak to a caring, interested individual, the better your brand is going to actually be seen in the minds of those you serve. All right. So I want to start a little bit from the beginning and I, and I recognize you've kind of done this you know, many, many times. But let's say you know, you're going through a branding exercise or you're thinking about going through a branding exercise. What is it that you advise people that they have ready to go? either before they engage somebody like you or if they're brave and they're embarking upon this themselves. Okay. So the first thing is, is that they have to actually be honest and looking. There's, there's two sides to the coin of any brand. There's the micro, which is the brand itself. And there's the macro, which is the world out there, right? Oftentimes, especially when I'm dealing with CEOs, entrepreneurs, those who have proudly developed something could be software, it could be a product or a service, and they've invested time and money, and they have what I call the beautiful baby syndrome. Isn't my baby gorgeous? And I'm usually the one that says, look, I know your heart's in the right place. I know that you have a lot of love for that little, that little baby of yours, but that's one of the ugliest, ugliest babies I've ever actually seen. <laughs> Because the thing is, is they're so in love with it. They're so, mm -hmm. they're so biased with, because of their infatuation and their commitment and their engagement that they don't have the impartiality that's necessary. So when I'm engaged in a project, I say the first thing that I'm going to be bringing to this is what I call passionate impartiality. So one, I really, really, really give a shit. And two, I'm also, so that's the passionate part. The impartial part is, and that's why I'm telling you that that baby that you're holding in your arms, it, it, I, you kind of lost me when I saw the third eye and the fourth ear. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's the point is that is really looking at the bigger picture because every creator of a company is going to say, oh yeah, we, we've been doing it the best and we, and we, have, we really are we're doing what others aren't doing and this, that, the other, and we're great and we're this and we're that. But what they're doing is they're using the language of the old, which is the language that everybody's been using for years in that industry. And now they're somehow trying to introduce this new disruptive thing using the same language, the same terms, the same features, the same reasons why. And that's where they that, that disconnect between the micro and the macro. So I'm like, look. And, and here's the way I unearth that. After I'm told how great the, that company is, I then say, I, I then say, let me ask you something. Why do I know that if I went to five of your key competitors right now, that they'd be essentially telling me the same thing that you just told me? And that's when the big sort of awkward pause enters the room and they go, oh, damn, you're right. That's the moment at which they see hmm, we're a little too close to this. So that's the proximity point that I'm talking about. Okay, and then, so are you for advocating, you know, finding that differentiation or finding something that differentiates you from your competitor? What is it that you're looking for here? Absolutely. You have to find the differentiator. Why, you have to be able to answer, why you? Yeah. And if, and if, and if your answer is, is, well, why us, is, we're better. 
That's the most pathetic <laughs> answer in the world. Every one of your competitors is going to say, we're better. But what are you looking for? Are you looking for something that you know, David knows because of his research that will resonate with this company's target audience or a niche audience? How, how do you know how to dif what differentiator to choose? Or there could be multiple differentiators, but let's just say just a few. There, there, there absolutely are multiple differentiators. And the, and the basic thing that you have to, you have to look and you go, okay, is the differentiator who we serve? Is the differentiator how we deliver it? Is the differentiator our core technology? And if it's the core technology, what's the outcome? Is it what? How is that outcome making the lives of our customer simpler, smarter, faster, smaller, easier? You know, what's the final outcome that connects to that differentiator? You know, and sometimes people go, "Well, made in the USA." They'll do that kind of crap, or yeah. women-owned, or um, or you know. We have, you know, it's like, a, they'll, they'll pick just these little trivial things and they think that that's the stuff that's going to move the dial and it's not. Okay. So when you, when you figure out what your differentiator is, you also have to tie it to, will they respond? Will my target audience respond? Correct. And, and how do you, do you test that? Is that not what you do? How, how do we make sure that it's the right differentiator? Well, of course, you're, I mean, you always see what's going to resonate. But the thing is, is that a lot of that stuff is oftentimes, it's what I call, it's hiding in plain sight. Like, in other words, usually what happens is people, 98% of companies out there are doing iterations of what is already out there. Yeah. And, and, it, and that absolutely applies to their messaging that absolutely applies to their design their impact and so the other so there are different tools and such so like for example one of the big 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 ways that i look at it is like what are the values of my clients customers that we can tap into because the greatest brands in the world that you and i know that every anybody listening to this knows were built on not the products necessarily but they were first built on a foundation of values nike never said hey better synthetic rubber man better cooler soles to so that you when you run you no it was like just do it just do it is is a values proposition it's like you know what i'm going to get up off of my ass and i'm going to put the excuses aside whether i'm training for the olympics or whether i'm 85 years old and i'm getting in my my two mile walk a day, right? So it's values. You know, Apple, when Steve Jobs came back from, you know, after being ousted, you know, what did he, he did he go, hey, better iOS system, da 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 da, and this, that, the other, or whatever, better, you know, better operating system or cooler design or whatever. No, they was like, think different. It embraced the fact that they were about not subscribing to the status quo, not being beige and answering to a different set of standards and so it was think different so you know prior to that nobody had done that they were all like going well so much megahertz and so much so much uh, megabytes and so much memory and so much so this is the size of the screens feature 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 features are not your brand differentiator your brand differentiator needs to be built around something closer to the human experience the human values that make up your demographic that you're serving 
And, and you know, and even Nike, I mean, Nike was what? So you look at Phil Knight and you go, you go, okay. It's like he was a sports enthusiast. Yeah. You know, Steve Jobs was a user experience junkie. That's where these guys came from. They were the audience before the audience was even defined. That's what I mean by values. Right. And, and I get that, but those are, you know, they're, be, when they rebranded to those, you know, think different and uh, um, uh, just do it. They were big brands at the time, right? Well, put, look, Apple was probably months away from being bankrupt. Well, that's true. That's true. But they still had a big user base. They, they were a bigger company. People knew who they were. Do you recommend the same strategy for small, what, small 100, companies? 100%. I'll give you a perfect example. I'll give you a very simple example. There's a client yeah. of mine uh, on the East Coast in, in Massachusetts. And, uh, and they're, in the, they're in the premium uh, dog food space, right? I'd never done anything for, for a dog food company, right? And it's like, okay. Yeah. And so I'm looking... And I'm looking at all the other stuff that's out there. And everybody knows Purina. Everybody knows this. Everybody knows that. Well, if you actually, if you're into dogs, um, you know, you know, and you actually understand that stuff, that stuff that, you're, that they're serving, that shit, that's, that shit is not healthy. It's crap for the dogs. Um, not good for their skin. Not good for their digestive systems or energy or aging or any of that stuff. And so these guys, my client, they come to me and they go, hey, David, we, we have this particular the food that we actually make and it's and it's actually you know pure ingredients it's healthy it's uncooked it's special recipes that we make da 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 da, da and it's delivered frozen etc 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 and they're explaining this and i said so what business do you think you guys think you're in this is my question then they said well we're a dog yeah. food company and i said tell me a little bit about your audience and then they started to describe their audience well their audience was a more affluent audience their audience were the type of people who would enjoy going out and eating at a nice place, a nice quality of lifestyle, a nice home lifestyle, uh, family values, et cetera, et cetera. So as I started to understand that, I said, you're not a dog food company. I said, you're a lifestyle company. And that made them pause in their tracks. I said, you're a lifestyle company that happens to make dog food. And so they went from, for, and this just shows you the, the transition. They went from... Um, I think it was, I think it was, um, farm, uh, I'm trying to remember the prior, the prior incarnation farmstead. I think it was farm farmstead, something farms, homestead farms, mm -hmm. homestead farms. And it was a very ambiguous. You didn't quite know what was, what it was. I renamed it, rebranded it. The whole thing now is called Napa fresh food for dogs, earth's most civilized mm. food for dogs. Okay. But Napa Fresh, when you hear Napa Fresh, yeah, anybody that's in, that's into food, quality of life, and digs dogs, they know what that is. It, you know, you that communicate has an instant communication before you've even seen anything. I and I love the branding on that. I have a a, a really good image of what that is, especially because I'm from Sonoma County, uh, which is right next door to Napa. But uh, I will add, it, it you do state what it is: most civilized food for dogs, right? In the sub the subheading or subtitle. That's correct. But but here's but here's the interesting thing. Through the entire year of 2020, which was for quite a few companies, very challenging. For everybody, they had to pivot one way or another. But some companies exploded, some industries got decimated, hospitality, et cetera. And then others challenged and then rose. They saw a 300% increase year over year during that whole time. And they attributed 100% to 
the loyalty that they had because the branding was on point. Yeah. The packaging was on point. It made a difference. If they were the other, if they were the other brand, they would not have seen that growth. That's just an example to just show you a transition, how, how that connected to the audience, not only in terms of language, but in terms of design. Now they've come out with buttons that people are collecting that, because if you know your dog owners, dog owners are passionate as hell over their, over their pets. Yep. So it's, that's just, un, you got to understand the values. This is completely built on values. Okay. Now I get a great picture of Napa fresh food for dogs. Uh, and I know anyone that's affluent if that's their target audience knows napa they all know it so it it's there's a very good overlap of branding and target audience that's wonderful and then you started to talk about you know the look and feel of the packaging and probably the website and just the, the brand itself so let's say you nail it like you did with with napa fresh how then do you translate that into the feel, the look, the design, the font, all of that? How does how does that work? This is mystery to me. This oh, whole that's, thing. That, that, that's, a, that's a very big question, my man. A, you're asking you're asking for four decades of of, uh, of secret of sauce, practice. man. Secret sauce. That's what this is about. I know, I know. Well, first of all, for those for those that are listening, I would absolutely say, look, if you're if you're curious, if this is piqued your curiosity, you're like, oh my god, I'd love to see that. I invite you to go to my website where, and you could literally type in the search bar, Napa Fresh, and it'll take you straight to the article, but you go to risingabovethenoise.com. That's R-I-S-I-N-G, risingabovethenoise.com, and type in Napa Fresh, and you'll see, I literally show you the before, the after, I walk you through the entire evolution. It's amazing. And so that's just an example. And there's tons of rebrand stories like that, showing you the before and the transformation. But the basic thing is, is that I had to look at the aesthetic. I mean, well, actually, so there's two things to, uh, to answer your question in terms of the look, the, the design, the fonts. So first I looked at what was, now if we understand that branding is the art of differentiation, so we looked already in terms of name differentiation. Then when I looked at language differentiation, I looked at description differentiation. And what we did then was I looked at What's the overall design of you've got Purina and you've got uh, all of those, you know, all those different, uh, I think it's called Fresh Pet or something like that. You've got these various brands, which if you start to just look at them, you actually realize they're actually not truly healthy offerings. And so what I ended up doing is I looked at the aesthetics of those and how am I going to make this now amplify the concept because just when you hear the words napa fresh food for dogs that already conveys a lifestyle a, a set of values yeah well how am i going to now interject an aesthetic that one amplifies that and two simultaneously differentiates it so that when people see it they get it so literally with every new package that we have there, there are certain etching styles that we've that we've incorporated into the packaging, but at the same time, there are these frosted bags with these labels, and they have these beautiful paintings that have such a look of Napa. There, I mean, so we, we've incorporated a style that you have never seen associated with any dog food any you know dog food brand. So all of these things are carving out differentiation on top of differentiation on top of differentiation. All right, naive question. How do I pick a color 
to represent my brand are colors and fonts and you're uh, here well, well well there's two things uh, uh, you're gonna you, you probably will hate my answer but it's the best answer i'm gonna give you <laughs> the bed so first of all is like i'm a big advocate of the factor of like that rules enable you to follow knowledge enables you to lead there is no there there's not a rule of oh always pick green always pick that you know like i'm not so i'm not going to give you that kind of answer you don't look at a color wheel and say green means happy no 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 you get get we're all more intelligent than that we don't have to like we don't have to be blind followers of those kinds of rules i would say this i would say first of all again differentiation so if every let's say for example if everybody in your space is using greens well for you to do a green you're obviously going to blend in so that wouldn't so that's the first point yeah are you differentiating that's one criteria mm -hmm. criteria number two would be okay um if i'm going to use if i'm going to look at, at, at a color palette what again what's going to amplify the the concept when you see the particular colors i've chosen there there is like aubergine which is kind of like an eggplant color that's in, incorporated there there's a certain a greenish tonality but there's a style and an aesthetic that i brought into it that was a little that definitely was reflective of the aesthetic that one might associate with a napa style afternoon right i went that route because i knew nobody had gone that route in that space so um but i would i would not want anyone listening to this to go oh well if i'm in technology i'm going to choose blue if i'm in if i'm in food i'm going to choose green if i'm in this i mean if that i would say just take that sucker in the back in in the in the, out in the backyard and shoot it as a concept you don't want to limit yourself to what i call lazy crutches you've got to look you've got to look at the space because it's going to be different you know, if like if everyone's if everyone's going, hey, we're like, well, we're all orange and this and that, and, the other, and you kind of go, well, why why is everybody going that way, or why is everybody going minimalist design? And if they're going minimalist design, does that make sense? And do we also want to be minimalist design, or you go, well, everyone's going really vintage and retro. Well, does that make sense? And if they're doing vintage and retro, and it makes sense. Okay, what are we going to do? Are we going to do like a two totally new aspect of it? Because our job is to stand out. Our job is not to blend in. Our job is to differentiate. So that's that's your anchor as far as what starts to guide your decisions. Okay, and, and I that makes total sense. Look at the competition. Don't be like them. If you have to be a retro look you know do do something even different within retro there's probably a thousand different ways to show retro uh, let so let let me ask this a different way so do you like come up with three or four design concepts based on that differentiation based on not wanting to look at a competitor and then you and the team or you and the client say basically this this is the one that we should go with is it like that or is it like you come up with a concept just based on everything that you all the information you've taken in the competitors the competitive landscape all that and say i i believe in this and this is the way we should go um the common scenario is we you know we share we walk every client through and say these are because normally there's let's say on the average there's commonly five to eight seems to be it tends to be about five to eight real competitors that a company tends to be up against 
right? It may be they may be current competitors. Some of them may be current competitors. Some of them may be future competitors, as because we now know they're going to be in a growth mode that they may be starting to compete with in a couple of months of, or or quarter or what or six months. Um, so we look at those, and then based on that, sometimes the pathway is really really clear, and it's like you know what this we've done our homework, we've done our due diligence. This is what we're seeing. These are our takeaways and our observations from what we've looked at in terms of the, we call it the noise. We look at the competitive landscape, we call that the noise. Because, and that's why everything I do is about rising above the noise. So if that's the noise, how are we going, we're either going to add to the noise by doing something similar, which we're not going to do. You know, that's the client's choice. They could do something similar or we can rise above the noise. Our pathway is always, how do we rise above the noise? How do we differentiate? So I look at that and I go, all right. So how is this going to, how is this going to do it? And you know, a pretty good percentage of the time, I might say, you know what, there here's 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 one or two directions that we feel answer and fulfill the criteria that we're looking at in terms of the amount of differentiation we feel needs to occur, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's not lazy. Like we sift through a lot. I'm not. I don't think it's a showing respect on the part of my client to say, hey, let me show you the the 25 different directions we went to so that you can be impressed with the work and the blood and sweat and tears. And let, so, um, I mean, it's like, hey, here's the criteria. Here's our, here's our couple of recommendations that we made. We're not showing you the other 20 plus designs that we've already internally rejected. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I saw the, the one that stands out to me is this beef jerky brand that you did. It's like, oh, simply, simply snacking. Yeah. Oh my God, was that a transformation? And it's just beef jerky. Yeah. Um, but it made me feel like, well, this isn't just beef jerky. This is like this thing I, I want to rip open the package and eat right away. Yeah. So, so I don't know how you capture that, you know, magic pixie dust that you toss on all this stuff. But, you know, that uh, I, I guess that's what, what 40 years of, of uh, experience brings. Yeah. Totally. But there's a, that to me is the ultimate. Uh, where you you get to a point where you know just like an apple box, simple but clean, sleek. You want to open it up. You want to you know you want to mess around with what's inside. Complete get that, um, but f- really hard. Not something I could do. I'm I'm like a I'm like an art critic. I could say whether I like it or not, but there's no way possible way. No one's hiring me to do branding, but I I would toss it over to to you, David. Uh, just because that is such an art and a science and and everything else yeah. that goes into it. Yeah. So if you're li- if you're listening to this and and you're like me, uh, I wouldn't suggest you do it yourself. I suggest that you hire somebody like David to do it for you because there's such a difference. Just like you said, 300 percent increase in sales, which is not intuitive to most people. Yeah. But if you really drill down, and you think about it. If you're exuding what your customers want and you and you're making it so attractive. Uh, and I, I like to use dating analogies. You know, if 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 you're a two on a scale of one to ten for your target customer, you're not going to get a lot of dates. If you're a nine or a ten, you're going to get flooded with dates. And just replace dates with sales, and you can understand. As a heuristic, you can understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. So I think that's the challenge. Um, a few more questions around this. Yeah. So I'm I consider myself a fontist. You know, I'm not the best creator of fonts or, or cho- uh, chooser of fonts, but I do a pretty good job of that. How much do fonts impact brands and, and branding? 
Um, it's enormous. It's enormous. I mean, like for I mean, I'll give you. I'll give it's you. It's all subconscious for most people, isn't it? Most people don't think about what font is this. Oh I no, mean, no. They, well, they don't. But the thing is, that at the same time, you know, like the millions and millions of people that go to movies also don't think of what it goes into framing that shot that Steven Spielberg might spend days or weeks, you know, just plotting out and finding and scouting the right location. So, you know, and, and and at the same time, it's like, why can I take the same ingredients and give it to someone over here as, as I would give it to Gordon Ramsay here? And Gordon's is going to be, holy crap, that's the most amazing thing I've eaten. And this other person is going to be like, well, that's kind of forgettable. Can we order in? So, you know, so to me, it's, you know, in the hands of an expert, things become magical. Um, and that's the job of that's the job of, of uh, a true craftsperson who really knows their their business. Okay, awesome. And then it's obviously got to match the branding, uh, the packaging and everything else that you've done. So that's, that's a whole other big decision that you make. It, com it completely does. But at the same time, like, for example, I mean, like, there's, there's someone who shall remain nameless who is uh, doing some promo that's uh, that's saying that they can they, they can actually help people with their brands and their and their promotions are using Times Roman. Huh. I'm like seriously, right? <laughs> I'm like that. That'll be like that'll be like for those for those that know like uh, Papyrus. You know, Papyrus is one of those like ridiculous fonts or Comic Sans. You know, those are like those those are a couple of ridiculous fonts. That are in that many will find on their computers, and you and and if someone chooses that. That is so immediately a tell on the part of anybody that knows anything. You go, whoever is responsible for that should be shot. <laughs> yeah, I uh, Comic Sans is kind of the 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 it's the, the punchline. The joke around it's the punchline. Yeah, it yeah, it's a punchline. Yeah. Okay, so when you put all this together, actually, I should ask: Is there anything else at a high level? that goes into branding that we haven't talked about um to me branding is is has, a, has an aspect of seduction branding is the low-cut blouse <laughs> it makes me want to know more <laughs> it gets me curious you're using my dating analogy it gets me curious yes <laughs> you know? and so the thing is a good brand knows that a good brand knows its assets. A good brand knows its weaknesses. A good brand is very, very self-aware. So that's the thing. I would say that the, the great, great, greatest brands are self-aware, you know? And so, I mean, you know, like Harley Davidson owns its story. You know, Tesla owns its story. Dyson owns its story. My clients, they own their story, you know? And sometimes they'll... they will fall back into bad habits and they'll go, Hey Dave, we just did this. And I say, well, that sucks. And they're like, what? I said, yeah, you're talking features and crap and blah, 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 just like your competition. If you can, if you literally, here's a great asset test for any, any entrepreneur, any company can apply. If you can basically look at your stuff and say, well, we do blah, 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 blah. And if you can add the words, just like our competition, then you already know that you're that you are losing market share, yeah. you're losing brand relevance, and you're leaving money on the table. Couldn't agree more. So you did bring up something that I, I totally forgot, and that is, what is your story? <laughs> um, and coming up with that is that something that you do? 
Or is that something you rely on the client to do, is to at least give you the kernel of that? Well, no. The, let, me, let me make a very clear distinction. What we get from the client is facts. Our, none of our clients have ever come up with their own story. Hmm. Usually what happens is, I mean, and I kid you not, yeah. usually what happens is I'm going to say, okay, after we've collected the facts and we've done our due diligence and this and that, the other, and blah, 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 I then, and then I do the presentation with my client and I say, now, here's your story. And then I walk them through and I walk them through and I walk them through. It's literally, I'm watching their face as I'm doing the presentation. It's like they're watching their baby being born. Uh. They're like, oh my God. I had no idea. They're literally seeing it for the first time because they've been, again, so damn close. Yeah. And all they've known is the lint in their navel. They have not known that, yes, there's a little bit more than the lint in your navel. Yeah, I, and, and again, another artistic type of thing is, is taking what you know and turning that into a story and then living that story. And I think you alluded to that earlier is you still have to live it, you have to breathe it, and uh, that's got to be a part of your, your ethos going forward. 100%. It, and, and, and it impacts everyone. It not only impacts the viewpoint of the, at the, the leadership level, but it literally filters through the entire organization. I mean, I took a company, a software company, just two months ago. And I said, I said, guys, I said, you're, you're all you're talking about when you when we are talking conversation, you're only talking feature, 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 feature. I said, all your competitions are doing the same thing. I said, stop that. And what I told them was this, and I and I would literally repeat this in every meeting that I would have with them. Different is better than better. And they were like, hmm. And they go, yeah, but Bob, yeah, but Bob, 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 I said, I don't care. <laughs> I, I don't care about your features. Stop talking to me about your features. Different is better than better. And they started to understand that. And then literally when I unveiled their story to them, I literally got from the, from the CEO who was really leaned heavily on that feature thing. She, uh, she went at the end, she goes, yay, and clapped after, after literally now rediscovering her brand because now is being looked through a lens that somebody's going to give a damn about. All right, so you have your differentiation, you have your story, you have the look and feel, uh, fonts, probably some messaging that goes along with that. Yeah. And the end result, and tell me if I'm wrong here, the end result is your brand makes your target audience feel a certain way about your brand. And is that the ultimate sign that you've done a good job is if the, your target audience feels positively or feels whatever you want them to feel about your brand going forward? Or is there something more? Well, it's not. Well, let, let, I want to be clear about it. If you're doing it right, what they feel is understood. If you're doing it right, they feel someone finally is talking their language. They don't feel something else like it's not it's not like it's not like we're trying to do a smoke and mirrors, a bait and switch. Oh, now they're feeling something they didn't feel. No, it's like we actually were paying attention to the right things that mattered to them. So um, you know, that is that's the key, 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 key point. That's what really that's how it works. Yes, they're feeling something, but not because we're sugarcoating a turd. 
right? <laughs> but because, no, we've uncovered what really matters. And we've stopped talking about the crap that our clients thought mattered. Well, we're going to talk about the features. We're going to talk about these things. We're going to blah, 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 blah. It's like, shut up. Because if they're, if, if they're still talking that way, they're in what I call pitch mode. If you reflect the values of your audience, you don't need to be talking in pitch mode. You actually can have something novel. That's called a dialogue. That's called a conversation. That's the difference. Very well said. And on that note, David, there's a lot of people listening to this. What is it that uh, they could do to get a hold of you or to get more information about what you do? I know you've got a website. You've got some downloads, I think, that I've, I've downloaded in the past. But totally. I'll let you take the stage from, from here. Where is it that people can find you and, and uh, what do you suggest they look at? Absolutely. Well, first of all, they, I mean, you can certainly find me, of course, on my website where there, you can subscribe to the blog. There's a free uh, ebook called The Lucky Brand which is downloadable there, but there it's like, that's rising above the noise.com R I S I N G rising above the noise.com. That's certainly a destination to go to. I'm very active on LinkedIn, been jumping on clubhouse. Like a lot of people have been, but LinkedIn you'll find there's daily content on LinkedIn, like ridiculously potent content that people are shocked that I'm giving away for free. Um, you can certainly check me out on YouTube, on Instagram, et cetera. Um, I have no idea of the, and, and Facebook as well. But if you go to those various things, you'll find lots of actionable content. I'm all about getting stuff done intelligently, not doing it lazily, but doing it intelligently with keen observation. Um, and there's just a lot of powerful, powerful content, even to the point where we're actually now delivering our second masterclass mentorship program. It's an eight-week program that we've been doing. And you can learn more about that too. And that we literally have people from around the world engaged in it now. And so um, that's incredibly exciting. That's literally, we literally had people getting about a 2,000, uh, over 2,000% ROI on the actual program. We, we literally had someone who closed a $7 million deal while doing that program uh just the implementing the the tools that are from that so there's a lot of powerful powerful stuff that you can get from the resources so i would definitely reach out connect and hit me up on linkedin dm me let's let's connect up and absolutely that's the way to do it all right david on that note thank you so much totally my pleasure man love talking to you as always and uh thanks for appearing on the show totally thank you for having me and yeah, if any of your if any of your listeners are kind of like, hey, wow, I want to know more about blank, blank, blank. Shyness is not something I respect. Reach out. Let's talk. Wonderful. <laughs>